It is good to see you here today and glad to have you here with us if you are visiting with us. If I was a running back for Clemson, I'd hand around this side this morning. I think I could make it down the right side. Left side looks kind of more filled in. But uh, anyhow, good to see all of you here as uh, we come to this hour of worship. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we uh, are glad to have you here and do hope that you'll be back to worship with us on many future occasions. We have uh, normal activities today, and then we have an additional uh, activity, which is a meeting of the Finance Committee and the McClyman Trust Fund Committee, um, board, or board. Um, that will be this afternoon at 4.30 in the Social Hall area, and we invite those on those <coughs> committees uh, to be present with us for uh, that important time. Let me bring you up to date on some of our ailing folks. Um, Toby Wright is at the hospital, the, the new Greer Hospital today, after having had bronchitis. And then the medicine that they gave him for his bronchitis uh, may have ended up backfiring on him as much as anything else. But he's doing much, much better now, um, but is there uh, for another day or so probably. Uh, Maggie Warner, uh, the eight-year-old little girl that we see here so very often, is still a patient at uh, Greenville uh, Memorial Hospital. We keep hoping this is going to be, be the week when she'll get to go home, but sometimes I'll have to tell you about uh, my time of sitting with her for two hours and how tired I was when she got done with me. That was quite, quite an afternoon. Uh, I also want you to know, and Several of us who are friends of his felt like it was okay to pass this on to you. Uh, we've gotten an email this week from James Ellis Griffith, your former pastor, indicating that he is beginning treatment now for prostate cancer. Uh, we don't know what that's going to be, but um, I'm sure he would appreciate a note from you, a card from you, your prayers, as he um, takes on this uh, uh uh, this battle with uh, prostate cancer. He's very hopeful of a good outcome uh, because they caught it very early, but keep him also in your prayers. We have Joy Hudson, Dr. Joy Hudson, to come and share with us some information now about the swine flu. Hi, I'm a family doctor out in Inman and I'm also the Health and Welfare Committee. So uh, with the swine flu here and the seasonal flu coming, I thought I would hand out uh, information about the flu. And this information comes from the Department of Health so everyone gets the right information. You'll also see hand sanitizer everywhere and uh, that's to help prevent the spread of it. And there's other advice here about uh, keeping it down. The most important thing is if you're sick, don't come here. <laughs> <laughs> to pass it on. Uh, the flu especially is spread by droplets, so um, hand sanitizer helps, um, but not completely. So uh, if you could take one of these on your way out, they're posted at uh, two of the exits. Thank you. Now Penny tells me that if you have the bird flu, you'll need to seek treatment. And if you have the swine flu, you'll need to find some ointment. See, she's not funny either. I just, uh, 
are there other announcements we need to share at this time? If not, let us begin our time together in worship.
confession of faith is the Apostles' Creed on page 881. Let us unite in this confession of the Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered This time we'd like to invite the children to come forward to join Lauren Sefton for a few moments of sharing. <coughs> newspaper no ever see your parents read it sometimes maybe. your grandparents read it uh-huh well, do you ever read stories yeah yeah well I read the newspaper a lot to keep up with current events and keep up with what's going on in the world today and um, a lot of times reporters or people that write those stories use a special way to get their answers um, to write to put into the story um, and to ask questions <coughs> um, and those a lot of times they use um, a process called the five W's does anybody know what the five W's are that's the who the what the when the where and the why and they answer those questions to make sure that they give the reader all the information well, today we're going to read from the Bible, from the book of James, and James is going to teach us about prayer. And then after I read this passage, we're going to see if we can answer those five W's, okay? This comes from James um, 5, 13 through 16. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective. Okay, let's see if we can answer those five W's, okay? Who should pray? Us, which means anyone can pray, okay? These verses tell us that anyone who needs God's help or anyone who has received God's blessing should pray. So shouldn't, shouldn't that be all of us? We should all pray? Well, what should we pray about? Yeah. 
God and Jesus and to help us? Yes, we should pray for the healing, healing when people are sick. Um, we should pray for, pray for times of forgiveness when we've sinned. We should, pray, um, we should pray when we're happy and when we receive God's blessing. And we should also pray in times of trouble um, and ask for God, God's guidance. When should we pray? At night, yeah. When else? Every day, anytime, right? Before you eat. That, that's a big one, right? Oh, yeah. Um, well, you should pray anytime, okay? If we should pray when we are in trouble, when we're sick, when we're happy, or when we have sinned, that's just about any time, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Um, where should we pray? Anywhere. That's exactly right. You're catching on, aren't you? <laughs> These verses don't come right out and tell us where we should pray, but we, we figured it out, right? If we should pray anytime we need God's help, then I guess it just makes sense that we should pray anywhere we are, because anywhere we are, God is there. Why should we pray? And this is the biggie. That's exactly right. So God can help us when we need help, right? And because God answers our prayers. Um, these verses tell us that prayer is powerful and it's effective. And that if we pray, God will hear our prayers, heal the sick, and forgive us of our sins. So, if you will pray with me and remember those five W's when you pray, okay? Let's bow our heads. Dear Father, thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. Help us to remember that you want to heal us when we are sick. Help us when we are in trouble. Forgive us when we sin and rejoice with us when we are happy. Amen. Y'all have a great week. Since Esther is considered a history book, it is in that section of your Old Testament. Uh, it may be, this is one of those chapters and books where I always lost it when we did sword drill, you know, uh, at school and whatnot. But anyway, it's on page 783 if you want to turn to that and follow along uh, this story of Queen Esther. <clears throat> beginning uh, in chapter 7, verse 1. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And as they were drinking wine on the, that second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life, this is my petition, and spare my people, this is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. 
If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, the adversary and enemy is this vile Haman. And Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Then moving down to verse nine, then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king said, a gallus 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. He had it made for Mordecai who spoke up to help the king. The king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. And then moving to chapter nine, verse 20. Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes near and far to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrows were turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 124, which is found on page 846 of your hymnal. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able as we share this passage together. <clears throat> If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when foes rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive, when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us. Then the Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped as a bird from the snares of the fowls. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Epistle lesson is from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if any one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Here ends the lesson. <clears throat>
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, there are things in this life that just stretch our vocabularies beyond our ability to express clearly how wonderful things are without exaggerating things greatly. When we see an absolutely beautiful sunrise or sunset, we don't find words adequate to express the way we feel. When we contemplate and think about your great love for us, we often say things like that your love is taller than the highest mountains, and even that exaggeration doesn't begin to come close to what we have experienced. Your patience with us and your generosity towards us seems to be as vast as all of space. And your ability to forgive us is something we give you such thanks for. And again, we find difficulty finding words to express our amazement because we human beings know how hard it is to forgive. Very honestly, Lord, we don't forgive each other very well. And yet we are told that you forgive us completely. How astonishing that is. How wonderful it is to know that you remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, and that is an infinite distance. You have totally removed our sins from us. We are grateful for the depth of love that we have experienced from you, even though we find it difficult to find words to express it, but how great it is that you love us so. Help us, Lord, to so dwell upon your love for us that we might feel compelled to go into our world and extend your love to our fellow human beings, to offer grace and mercy and forgiveness and second and third and fourth chances to the people that we meet because that is something we find so hard to do. Help us, Lord, that we might reflect your life in us by being like you. And Lord, if anything would stand in our way of following you, giving our hearts to you to follow you completely, we remember the words of Jesus that it would be better for us to lose a hand or a foot or an eye than to miss out on living in the kingdom of God. Help us, Lord, to put aside those things which would block us from knowing you and following you. Lord, we remember our friends in need of your healing touch this day. We remember our friends in, touch, in need of your touch of grace and mercy when they have made mistakes. We rem remember our friends who need encouragement in times of, of discouragement and depression. We bring these to you, O Lord, for your touch of mercy and grace this day. As we pray in the name of Jesus, as he taught us, saying, Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now continue worshiping God as we come to this time to worship him by giving.
next Sunday is going to be a little different. And I guess I need to prepare you for it. For one thing, we're going to have an abbreviated worship service because our district superintendent will be here to lead a charge conference uh, as soon as we finish our worship service. This is the time of year that charge conferences are held and he comes to hear reports on how well or how poorly a church might be doing. I would appreciate, since he's going to be here, if some of you all would try to keep people like Ralph and John away from him, <laughs> if they might have something of a negative. And it wouldn't do any good to have Scott Streetman say something to him either about how much sleep he gets in the balcony during my sermons. But, um, but anyway, we will have him with us next week. We also will be having, it's World Communion Sunday, so we're gonna have communion. Uh, we'll probably have a baptism. So it's gonna be a, a short but packed time of worship and then we will follow that with the charge conference. And I really hope you'll stay for charge conference, uh, even though you may not be a member of the administrative board. Some wonderful things are happening in this church and one of the things that I hope to call attention to next week in charge conference is that we have two young men from this congregation who have felt the call to ministry. Uh, one of them is already off at Duke in school and the other one is making plans. Uh, there are churches that have been around for 200 years and who have never had someone leave the church to go into the ordained ministry. And the fact that you've had so many across the years is a statement of, uh, of, uh, of your strength of character as a church and you deserve a uh, pat on the back about that, that, that you are continuing to send young men and women off into ministry. I celebrate that with you. Um, good to see the McClymans back with us today. Barbara's been out a good while, and Glenn's been babysitting. And uh, they're back with us after a time of sickness. Glad to see you here. Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. Um, interesting passage. Hear it now. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. As if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to go into life maimed than with two hands to go to hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter in the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, 
How can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Here ends the lesson. You know, it's forever until lunchtime. I'm so hungry right now I could eat a horse. After lunch today, I, will think, I think I will watch an endless afternoon of football. You know, some of those pro football players are so big that they could use a tree trunk for a toothpick. And good old Brett Favre has been playing for so long that he probably helped God create dirt. And like most Sunday afternoons, I'll probably take a nap. I could sleep for a year. I'm as tired as 100 men right now because I'm doing a million things to get ready for next week's charge conference. My stack of annual reports must weigh a ton. I think our district superintendent suspects that my reports contain an ocean of fabrication. He's told me a million times to stop exaggerating. Well, I don't think I've ever written a paragraph that has that many hyperboles in it ever before. Hyperbole is a word you may not be real familiar with, but it's an exaggeration like those I just uh, uttered. It's a very normal part of our American language. We immediately recognize that the exaggerations are not meant to be taken literally, but symbolically. I worked especially hard on this sermon today, this service rather today, to make sure that I used lots of hyperboles in lots of places. Look at the hymns. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great creator's praise. Professor Benny Biedenball used to laugh and say, most of us have a hard time using the one we've got. Why do we want a thousand? Jesus shines brighter. Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. And then a song we're going to sing in a few minutes has this line in it. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Really? I think most of us are doing a fairly good job at withholding a mite or two uh, from the good Lord. By definition, a hyperbole is an obvious and intentional exaggeration, an extravagant exaggeration. It is a figure of speech not intended to be taken literally it is a form of humor, a fact that adds credence to my contention that Jesus liked telling jokes and, he, and that he often used humor in his sermons as well as his daily life. We know for a fact that Jesus gave people nicknames. James and John had such tempers that Jesus had a little fun with them, nicknaming them sons of thunder. Simon was about as reliable as quicksand, and so they must have all laughed when Jesus said, I think I'm going to call you Rock. I've never known anybody who liked giving nicknames who didn't have a terrific sense of humor. And Jesus' use of hyperbole as a teaching tool would be scary unless we see that he intended it as an exaggeration, not to be taken literally. If you see it for what it is, then his words will help you see what Jesus considers really important. Listen again to these words. It would be better for a person 
to tie a heavy millstone around your neck and then go jump in the lake rather than to lead a little one into a life of sin. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed and crippled than to go to hell with two hands and two feet. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Just what is Jesus trying to tell us here? Well, Jesus' use of obvious and intentional extravagant exaggeration is meant to tell us what Jesus really considered of greatest importance. Nothing is more important than caring for those who are young in the faith, helping them to become established in the faith. Nothing is more important than, than making our place in the kingdom of God and being established in the kingdom. Nothing should be allowed to get in the way, and if it does, we should be willing to gladly eliminate whatever it is from our lives, especially if there happen to be things that will lead us in the direction of total destruction. <coughs> Regarding the jumping into the lake with a heavy millstone tied around your neck being preferable to causing a little one to sin, Jesus is telling us that nothing is more important than caring for our children and also of those who are of immature faith. He's not just speaking about children here, but he isn't excluding them either. People whose faith in Christ is still in those formative stages are very vulnerable to being led astray. Their immature zeal can cause them to follow some charismatic leader like James Jones uh, back in the uh, 70s, uh, Jim Jones, who might be leading them astray into a, a cult group or into a life of sin. These little ones can then become so disillusioned by being blown this way and that way by the winds of false doctrine that they just drop out altogether and quit coming to church altogether. Paul dealt with the same issue in Romans 14. One of the contentious debates in the early church was over what foods were considered kosher. People of different cultures eat different foods then and now. I saw a television program the other day about life up in Appalachia, primarily up in West Virginia. Any of you folks from West Virginia? The story was told about those folks up there, how they have survived a hundred years of rugged mountain climate by being hunters of what they eat. And the television showed a big dinner and a family gathered around a lovely dinner of possum and squirrel and other assorted meats. I'm glad I wasn't invited to that feast that day, but I'm also told that down in Louisiana, those Cajuns will eat just about anything that they can season properly. I might not want to share their foods, but I wouldn't want to doubt someone's sincerity of faith based on the fact that they eat possum and squirrel. But that was the case in the early church. Some folks thought that if you ate certain meats that had been cooked down to the pagan temple, it meant that you were really worshiping that idol. 
After arguing against that idea, Paul's instructions take an unexpected twist. He says that even though there's nothing wrong with eating such food, it might be wrong to eat it in the presence of a little one of the faith who might be led into idol worship after he sees you eat that possum or whatever. All food is clean, Paul says, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So we might translate Jesus' hyperbole concerning tying a millstone around your neck this way. Never forget that there is nothing more important than helping children and Christian novices become strong in the faith. As we say in our baptismal service, with God's help, we will so order our lives after the example of Christ that this child, surrounded by steadfast love, may be established in the faith and confirmed and strengthened in the way that leads to life eternal. Next, we come to the section where on the surface, it would appear that Jesus was advocating a rather harsh treatment of the body, removing a hand, foot, or an eye. When it comes to things that we depend on every day and consider important, are there any things more important to us than our hand, our feet, our hands, our feet, and our eyes? Break a bone, even a little bone in your foot like I did last spring, and you'll discover just how important a foot is. Try taking a shower on one foot for about a month. Don't lose your balance and fall out of the tub like I did. Shave and brush your teeth while hopping around on one foot because crutches aren't much help when you're trying to do those things. I couldn't drive my car for three weeks. The Waffle House almost had to close its doors. <laughs> Break an arm and see how difficult it is to do even the smallest daily task. One of my Waffle House friends wrecked his Harley Davidson while riding with some buddies halfway across the nation and they had to transport him and his two broken arms and his bike back here to Greer and he was as helpless as a baby. He says, you learn real fast who your friends are when you don't have either arm to use. Loss of vision is the most tragic loss of all of our senses. To lose even one eye robs us of three dimensional vision and depth perception. Without hands, we couldn't do important daily tasks that provide for our family's well-being. Without feet, we would not be able to walk from place to place or to work. Without sight, we would need constant assistance. In short, there is nothing we consider more valuable than our hands, our feet, and our eyes. But Jesus says one thing is, belonging to God's kingdom is even more important than a hand. Knowing and following God's will is more important than a foot. Experiencing eternal life on earth and in heaven is more important even than eyesight. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us with this hyperbole. Nothing is more important than belonging to God, doing his will, entering into his kingdom, and knowing that we will be going to heaven someday. 
That's the meaning of those hyperboles. Do you know people who have used their gifts for evil purposes? Do you know folks who have used the strength of their hands to hurt themselves and others? Who have allowed their feet to carry them to some unsavory places? Who have used their eyes to excite their senses for selfish pleasures? Their hands may have abused little children. Their feet may have kicked spouses. Their eyes have helped them find drugs to shoot into their veins. Wouldn't you agree with Jesus that they would be better off belonging to God's kingdom than so misusing their hands, their feet, and their eyes? Peterson translates it this way in the, the message translation or paraphrase of the Bible. You're better off one-eyed and alive than exercising your 2020 vision from inside the fire of hell. Nothing is more important than finding your place in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, every small act of caring is noticed. Even something as simple as giving a cup of water to one of God's children, it is valued it is noticed, it is rewarded. The closing verses of this chapter present their own problems for translators and interpreters, even though they don't contain hyperbole. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. One theologian, Tory suggests that Jesus was quoting a common proverb of that day, an Aramaic proverb that said, whatever would spoil must be salted. Perhaps Jesus was saying, we workers in God's kingdom need to get busy salting this rotten world we live in. Again, I like the translation of the message. Everyone's going through a refining fire sooner or later but you'll be well-preserved, protected from those eternal flames. Be preservatives yourselves. Preserve the peace. Nothing should deter us from our calling to be salt in our world. Vision is important. Hands are essential. We depend upon our feet every day. But as important as these things are, Nothing is as important as belonging to God's kingdom and being saved from total and final destruction. Nothing is as important as taking care of little growing disciples of Christ. Nothing is as important as doing God's will. We need to busy ourselves in spreading the salt of friendship, preserving peace, if anything stands in the way of our fully participating in God's kingdom, then we would be better off without it, even if that something is as important as a hand, a foot, or an eye. Let us go forth, celebrating how wonderful it is to belong to God, happy that nothing kept us from seeing the truth or hearing the good news. Amen.